Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Thanks, guys. Good morning, everybody. Hope your morning's awesome already. Um, so uh, something happened over the last couple weeks. Uh, the board went to Doug and said, Doug, Ryan's preaching is just awful, worse than it's ever been before. So we need you to get some other people up with him, to get some of the brightest, smartest, most theologically sound Bible. Well, anyways, we ended up with Darren and Gord instead. But um, Those other guys weren't available. So. Yeah. So sorry about that. That, that sounded like it was going to be Two out good. of three ain't bad. Yeah, and Darren's on like double duty this morning, so props to you on that. Anyways, uh, we had uh, gotten together a while ago when we do our planning for what we're doing in a year, and when we're talking about doing our Colossians series, we thought it might be cool to do a little bit of it a bit differently, what you might call Colossians casually, just kind of a conversation with the three of us up here. Um, And uh, really, uh, Doug had kind of referenced it, but really we, we, we haven't planned any of this, so our idea was to just get up with the passage, read through it, and discuss it, and kind of have a conversation around it. Um, so, uh, and, and that's not just a cheap excuse to get off of, like, sermon prep week during the, during the week, or work during the week. Uh, we, uh, you know, we all read Colossians 2, 16 to 23 this week, and, uh, you know, just kind of thought we'd get up here, have a bit of a conversation about it, um, and for a couple reasons. One, we always hope that what we do here on a Sunday morning is part of you continuing to uh, deepen your understanding of who God is and, and to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So we hope that this morning there's uh, some stuff said as we approach this passage as part of that. But also, too, we thought it might just be kind of cool to um, maybe step away from just our usual kind of pace of just getting up here and preaching at you and kind of open up a conversation to kind of maybe encourage what we hope happens in your lives. We hope in, we hope in your small groups. We know watch a lot of videos and stuff, but hope that sometimes you just sit down with the Bible and open it and read and discuss. We hope that with your other Christian friends, you do that sometimes and maybe give you a little bit of a look into uh, what that shouldn't look like so that you can uh, do a good job. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, A look of hopefully uh, some ideas of what that could look like and continue to encourage you along in that. So anyways, we've read the passage and we're going to kind of just dive in and kind of see where we go. Um, in the first service, I said, well, if it's a complete train wreck, we'll never do it again except in one hour during second service because we have nothing else prepared. Uh, so right now, you don't know if it was a complete train wreck in first service because we were pretty pot committed anyways. But yep. um, anyways, we hope that it's, it's, it's really good for you guys. Uh, and uh, yeah. For me, I'm just excited about any opportunity I get to sit on one of these stools for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just playing a game of will it break right now. It's... Uh... <laughs> We have a betting pool, like, for each minute at which point it will break. And This is where the faith enters into your religious practice. I want to quickly say, on the note of the stools, I forgot to say this in first service, but props to our FBC kids uh, greeters, because whenever we do this, we just steal their seats, and they, they, have, stand. To, they have to either stand or sit on those garbage kind of little tan stools that we definitely wouldn't be able to use. Um, and so, anyways, thanks to them, they're, 
this morning our most heroic volunteers. So <laughs> anyways, we should talk about this passage of Scripture, Colossians 2, 16 to 23. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, as always, if you're using app notes, um, this week there aren't a bunch of directed notes because we don't know. Um, but the, the Scripture's in there, some space to write down and stuff like that. Um, but before we hop into the passage, uh, maybe one of you would uh, like to open us up. You got an important text, Darren? <laughs> no, well, because you pointed out in the first service that my version is a little bit older oh. than the one on the screen. I, I'm going to read first. All right, yeah. Gordon, you want to just open us up in prayer before sure. we hop in? Yep. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here today. Lord, thank you for the chance we have to open up your word. And Lord, we just invite you into our presence. Pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into truth. Lord, may we uh, honor and glorify you through our discussion this morning. And uh, may it just speak to each one of us where we're at, Father. Lord, thank you for this day. We commit it back unto you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, it's true. In first service, we got Darren to read because we thought this would be a good opportunity for him to prove publicly that he can. Um, and uh, his every once, a while they, every once in a while, they update the translations. If you've been coming to FBC for a while, you know we use the NIV translation. And so he didn't have the pre-2011 one, so now... All right, you're going to read for us again? I'm good, All I'm right. good. So, Darren, you're on. We're going to read the passage, and we'll hop in. All right, we'll just dive right in here. Uh, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen, they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Thanks, Ange. Uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I got a text from Angie Smith as I was reading it. It pops up on my screen. It says, you're doing such a good job reading. Hashtag proud of you. That might be the first time anybody said those words to you, so we should maybe stop oh, and... It feels so good. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, lots going on in this passage. Um, and so, first of all, I, maybe, maybe some cool reflections would just be, before we get into the specifics of the passage, uh, what would you guys say would be, is, is your approach when you come to a text like this in... or? However, when you're reading Colossians, how you would study that and, and try to understand what it's actually trying to communicate. I always like to look at uh, who wrote the book and what was the circumstance, their circumstance, who, who's the recipient of the, of the, if it is a letter, who's it going to, what's, what's going on in that uh, environment historically at the moment that's being addressed. And then uh, secondly, you know, how does that apply to where, you know, the, where I live now and the things I face in my life. So in this particular uh, context, um, this is a, one of Paul's letters, and, and it's one of his prison letters. So I always find that fascinating when I'm, when I'm reading a letter to, if, if I just stop at different places 
and realized this is actually being written by a guy who's sitting in a first century prison. And yet, man, look how, you know, look how amazing his faith is. Look how, you know, so when Paul's writing these letters from, from prison, they're so much different than, I put myself in his place. And if, if I was uh, first, lived in the first century and archaeologists uh, uncovered one of my letters, I'm pretty sure it'd look quite a bit different. You know, it'd be like, uh, you know, poor me, uh, you know, this, the bed here is hard as a rock, you know, because it is a rock. And, you know, I, I don't know what stinks worse, the food or my cellmates, uh, you know, so like buy a file, bake a cake, have Timothy bring it here. Amen. Uh, but Paul, Paul doesn't, he never comes across as a victim and he's, and he's never thinking about himself. He's thinking about others. And that just blows me away. That speaks to me how God's grace is sufficient for us, even in those hardest situations. I can't envision how I'd act in that situation, but I, I know if I was there that God would be with me and his grace would be sufficient for me. And mm-hmm. so that makes it really cool, uh, just sort of framing the, the context of the letter. Yeah, and, and, and whenever I, I teach at youth or, or uh, small groups and things like that, one of the, I have kind of a couple of few rules, kind of a couple Words aren't coming out of my mouth very well this morning. I have a few rules. First off, I look at uh, what did the author say? What are the actual words on the page? And, and then how did the original readers understand this? And so that takes a little bit of background work and stuff, and, but I, you know, I think it's important to do and understand the context, the, the historical context of it. Um, and then how does that bridge into modern times? So what did he say? What were the actual words? How did the readers understand that then? How does that bridge into today's world? And then the last step is, how does that apply to me personally? And, and I think that a lot of people try to circumvent the first three and just kind of read something and go, well, this is this, and, and, and apply it without actually looking at the real meaning behind it. And, and so I think those, those foundational steps are really important to getting a good understanding of... of what God is intending for us. And, and I think it's super important that we do apply to our lives because if we're not applying it to our lives, then it's kind of useless. Yeah, totally. And I really agree with that. And I think studying scripture is really interesting because it's, it's something that like is maybe intimidating because people look at a big book and think about studying. But I think as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we're called to study the scripture, and that means kind of get an understanding of what it means, and like you said, apply it to our lives. And I think there are level of depths there that exist. So, like uh, you know, but most importantly, first of all, you like you guys said, you need to understand who's writing it, who they're writing to, and what they're actually saying. You know, Paul's not writing this letter to; he's not like him hey, in prison. I bet some like you know weird long-haired guy with his two big friends are going to be reading this one day. What do they need to know? He's writing to a church. And telling them stuff, but it's not written to us, but it is still, I believe, written for us. And I think mm-hmm. there's, there's, even, there's a lot deeper you can go to, like, do that, but always continue to know that there's more you can go for, for me preparing for this. You know, I love to look at the genre within the genre, like this is a letter, the overall genre, but when we get to this section, it's what uh, theologians call paranesis. So this is, up until this point, Paul's been, like, worshiping. <laughs> I know, I Googled it. Um, it's like ways to sound smart when talking about Colossians 2. Um, no, we, uh, but what happens is, you know, Paul, it's a, up to this point, he's worshiping Jesus. He's, his letter is just saying, you know, the gospel's so good. Jesus is amazing. And when you read that, you know, sometimes we read that just as essay, but we should read that as Paul inviting us in just, you know, 
enjoying that with him, how, Je- how awesome Jesus is. But then he gets to what's called paranesis, and that's basically instructions. So, you know, like, and we all do this. If you were to write a letter to someone, you know, if Talcy's going out of town for a while, if she wrote me a letter, there'd be different things within that letter, you know. There'd be the lovey-dovey stuff, kind of worshiping and adoring how awesome of a husband I am and how good of a, and how good looking I am. And just, you know, I mean, that would probably be like pages and pages and pages. Here's how you make craft dinner, <laughs> step by step. But then she gets to the paranesis, the instructions. She's like, Ryan, you know, don't play with matches and gasoline in the house, you know. Try to clean up once in a while. Remember that the baby exists, you know. <laughs> She's things. not leaving you alone with her. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I will admit that when Avra was 11 days old, we went to Pizza Hut after church. We got out of the van. I'm halfway to the restaurant. Telsey's like, Ryan, we are parents. And I was like, right. So I turned around and went and got her out. Point of the- made. Point so. made. <laughs> I'm trusting that none of you are going to call child protection <laughs> services. <laughs> But it's so important to engage with what Paul's actually saying. If he's worshiping Jesus, worship with him. If he's giving instructions, listen up, because he's pretty smart, and he's inspired by God to write these things. Um, And so that's what we're dealing with this morning. And so maybe uh, in the context of these instructions, or what people call paranesis, maybe uh, let's get into some initial thoughts on what Paul's talking about, what he's addressing here, and then we'll get a little bit more specific through some verses of the passage. So Paul is uh, addressing largely in, in this passage uh, some false teaching that's come into the church. Just a little historical uh, tidbit that helps frame this. Uh, the city of Colossa was initially a part of a, just a major trade route. And so in, in those days, you know, without the internet and all that kind of stuff, information, thoughts, ideas traveled person to person. And so because they were as part on this trade route, uh, that meant a lot of traders, a lot of people from other countries, a lot of back, different backgrounds would, would meet together in the city and mingle as they passed through. Uh, now, it, it was in decline. Under the Roman uh, Empire, the, you know, they, they were famous for establishing their Roman roads, and, and uh, they actually chose to bypass this city, so it was in decline as a, as a trade center. But it had that history and that background, and so... Here we see uh, a, a whole collection of different thoughts and ideas kind of being married together, brought together. The, the big word for it is syncretism, which means basically taking uh, a number of different uh, beliefs and practices from different uh, trains of thought and, and sort of bringing them and blending them together into one. And so we see uh, by what Paul's addressing, we see that there was elements of Judaism, the, the, Jude, the, the Jewish uh, festivals and, and uh, day celebrations, new moon celebrations. We see that there's elements of Gnosticism, which elevated knowledge, this esoteric secret knowledge that only a few possess. Uh, we see that there's elements of asceticism, which is like self-denial, like I please God by, by the things that I, I won't allow myself to do or I'll even punish my body to please God. We see that there's a mysticism, the worship of angels, and then there's some Christianity thrown in, and it's all put into a blender, and people are told, this is what you have to believe, this, this, this hodgepodge of, of different beliefs that these people had put together. And so Paul is uh, addressing that, the, the false teaching that's going on. Yeah, I, I love how, you know, he didn't really know this church, and, and yet he still had this pastor's heart to reach out to them and, and correct them in, in, in this way and saying, guys, you're, you're mistaken, and, and let me show you what is true, what is right, what is 
the right way of thinking in this regard. And I, I, I love that. Um, I think that's really cool. And interesting, you, you're talking about syncretism and just how that was an issue then. I, I, I think it's an issue now even in, in our culture, in our society, in our, in our world. Um, we, we do find that we mix Christianity with, with other beliefs and stuff. Or like we, how? I say collectively as a society. Like how? Um, wow. Uh, real, okay, so... No, no, it's a good If you're going to use a big word, I'm going to ask you to... Absolutely. Back it up. Uh, and so it, it talks about, you know, the, the mysticism, you were talking about that, and, and just uh, worshiping of, of higher powers and angels and stuff like that. Um, we, as, as Christians as a whole, I think sometimes we elevate angels in, in a way sometimes, and we're like, oh, we all have a guardian angel that's watching over us. And, and really, that's kind of, it's, it's me-focused. It's not really what angels are actually for. They're, they're to describe glory to God, and they're not these cute little things with wings flying around, shooting bows and arrows, making people fall in love. They're terrifying. Every time they appear to people in the Bible, they say, don't fear, because the instant an angel appears... They're, they're, people drop down in fear. They're, they're mighty holy warriors. And, and, and we kind of, we play them up and as, you know, people who are, you know, oh, my, my car broke down, and so God's sending an angel to tow it. And it's like, well, maybe, but maybe not. Um, and so another way, I think, is um, with superstition. Uh, I, I know a lot of Christians who be like, knock on wood, something doesn't happen to me. Or, you know, oh, don't walk underneath that ladder or th things like that where it, Paul's talking about how we've died to this in, with Christ. Uh, this stuff has no power over us. You know, and, and so often we, we, we have superstitions which we're actually ascribing power to. And, and so that's, I think, in some of those ways that we do that. Maybe kind of almost like everything happens for a reason kind of theology where, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's tough because everything is spiritual in our lives but not everything is spiritual, you know? Like well, and this is the push and pull of the, the gospel and, and, and relationship with God that I love, like where it, it talks about how, you know, we're, we're not supposed to uh, allow anyone to, to judge us and in regard to what we eat or drink or religious ceremonies or things like that, yet at the same time, we are to keep each other accountable. And, and I know that this is slightly different, and I think maybe Gord will want to talk about that later because he did in the first service. Just the whole idea of judging is more than just like, oh, you're bad, but more like you're not a Christian because of doing this kind of stuff. But there's this push and pull, right? There's, there's always this push and pull be between, you know, legalism and righteousness and, and all that stuff. And I, I love, love God's word for that and, and, and the gospel because of the push and pull. I almost wish that we could unwatch and unlisten to like every movie or thing that we hear about angels in the spiritual world <laughs> yeah. and heaven and hell in our culture because I, I do think like I agree with what you're saying like we have such a media infused view of what that looks like and it when you read the bible I mean we don't know that much about angels or demons but what we read is nothing like if you google image it or watch movies or you know things right. like that so yeah, uh, it's true. Okay, let's get into, let's actually get into the passage a little bit. We're going to cover a little bit of ground. We're not going to hit every verse here this morning, so hopefully you guys will take this home and continue the conversation with your families um, or whatever. Um, anyways, this first verse, it talks about not letting anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, uh, religious festivals, new moon celebrations, Sabbath day. So maybe speak to the original context a little bit there, and then we'll get to some application for now later. But what's going on there? 
Um, like I said, I think there was this whole uh, blending of, of different perspectives and philosophies and religious teachings. And uh, so we see different elements of Judaism and mysticism. And, and uh, so that, you know, we could draw out each one of those and, and talk about, um, you know, the origins. Some, a, lot of, a lot of this w was based, you know, the, uh, the Jewish celebrations and festivals and the Sabbath and the, the new moon, which is the beginning of the month, uh, feast that the Jews uh, observed. A lot of it had to do with the, the uh, Levitical law, the, the Jewish law that the people were under. But the, what, the, what they've forgotten was that the, the law was put in place as a forerunner uh, to Christ. It, it was meant to prepare us. It was never meant to be permanent. It was never... It, the law itself, uh, you know, um, they, it just comes out and says the law, the law can't do it. It, it, it. it succeeds in what it's trying to do, but ultimately it can't save us because none of us are able to keep the law to, it, to the full extent of of producing our own righteousness where we can stand before God and say, I am completely righteous God in and of my own effort. The law teaches us that it's impossible. And so to, to continue on to, to hang on to that after Christ has come uh, is, is, you know, not letting the past go. It talks about shadows. We'll talk about shadows a little bit later, and, I, and that's very interesting in that concept. But I, the one thing that I thought about, you know, so when it, when it says, do not let anybody judge you about what you eat or drink or whatever, you know, at first glance, that sort of sounds like, wow, you know, I, I stick up for my rights and, and you know, uh, don't you judge me kind of a thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm now authorized to say, take that sort of an attitude. But I think it's really important to look at the context here when it, it uses the word judge. So a little earlier in this, in this uh, chapter here, in verse 4, it says, uh, see that no one deceives you by fine-sounding arguments. In verse 8, it says, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. And then in verse 18, it says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and worship angels disqualify you. So this isn't uh, just sort of the, an arbitrary judgment where they're saying, you know, I, I don't like you, I don't, I, don't, I don't like what you're doing. This is... A, a, a more a deeper judgment that's saying you what you're doing what you believe in is not good enough it cannot save you you are not a crazed a christian because you are not doing all these other things that, that are being required of you and so you have to contrast this with with paul's teaching in in first uh, corinthians 8 and romans 14 where where he's talking about the weaker brother and he says, if, if whatever you do, you know, eating and drinking and, and observing these things, if it's causing a weaker brother to stumble, if it's hindering the gospel to that brother or sister, then, then he says, in no way will I stand on my right to do that. He says, I'm going to let it go. He says, if, he says, meat offered to idols is nothing, but if it causes my brother to stumble, then I'll never eat meat again. And so... That's the other side of this don't judge me thing is we still need to be sensitive to the fact that others as they watch our behaviors and whatnot might, uh, might be put off on the gospel and so we have to be uh, willing to bend in, 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 um, in deference to them on some of these issues that aren't important. Paul says it doesn't, if you eat the meat, you're no better. If you don't eat the meat, you're no worse. It's nothing. It's, it's inconsequential. And so just that little sort of word in there about this whole don't judge me kind of thing. It's not sticking up for your rights. It's making sure that your salvation is set on a, on a true foundation, which is Jesus Christ.
Yeah, I think that's tricky because there's like the law and it's like we're not bound and formed by that anymore. And then so it's easy to be like, well, well, whatever, let's forsake the law and become radicals and extremists on this side. But Paul actually speaks against that. He's like, well, chill out. You guys are free in Christ, but don't like, you know, do that, exercise that in a way that agitates other people and makes faith difficult for them. So mm-hmm. that's really true. What, have you, what about you, Darren? Well, yeah, and, and uh, you look at this passage, and, and early, later on, it, it says that um, in verse 23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. These are, these are man-made kind of rules. They're, they're set up in a way that um, it doesn't come from God. It actually comes from man. And, and they're saying, you have to live by these rules in order to be a Christian. And Paul has just kind of gone through, just before this, uh, that we're, we're free because of Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's um, in verse 9 and 10, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. And, and, and we have everything in Jesus and, and so what these people were doing here is that they were laying out these rules for people to follow and saying, if you don't live by these rules, then you're not a Christian. And, and, and so we see that even now, bridging the gap. We see that in, in places where people go, well, if, well you can't be a Christian if you, don't, if you drink, or you can't be a Christian if you dance, or, you, you know, those kind of things. Or, you know, I'm questioning your salvation because you wore a hat in church today. And, and, and we do that. We set up these rules. Sorry, Adam. We, we set up these rules. It, it, take, it, take it off. No, don't. Um, <laughs> do what you want. You have freedom in Christ. Um, the thing is, we have these rules set up that we, we, we list, and, and it becomes about the rules. We start worshiping the rules and the way we do things. We start worshiping the way we do church rather than worshiping Christ. And, it, and it, it should never be that way. It should always be about who we worship, not what we worship. Mm-hmm. And I really agree. This passage is a little bit tricky, though, because it's actually talking about stuff taught in the Bible earlier on, right? You know, And so it's challenging because you have people who are like, well, we're reading Scripture, and these are where these rules come from but the application's kind of gone awry. So right. uh, I, I think that's a, a little bit challenging. So well, I don't know. Well, and it's crazy because, like, well, <laughs> they are good things, and, and they can be good things, but they can also be not good things when they shift priority. It, it's, I, I equate it to, and, and bear with me, um, Bible reading. And, and I, I've, I've been in my office, and I've had people come in and go, I've, I've tried this Bible reading plan, and I'm so far behind, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, and they just get beat down about it. And, it. and it becomes this thing that they're supposed to check off the list. Um, you know, Bible reading, or, or even church attendance, or, or things like that. And I mean, I know I'm saying that. But, get out. <laughs> but it's true. We, we, we place these things in, in priority over Christ sometimes. Where, when it's, it's about our relationship with Jesus. It's not about the other things. We don't have this list of, okay, did I, did I say my prayers today before my meals? Did I put money in the offering envelope today? Did I, you know, help an old lady across the street? You know, whatever it is, we have this list that's like kind of like a checklist, and if we get all of our checks done, well, then we're good with God. 
That's, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is that we're good with God because of Christ. And then because of that, we do good things. It's not the other way around. It's like John, John the Baptist wasn't out in the wilderness eating locusts and, and wearing camel fur and, and, and preaching to people. It wasn't because he was doing that thing, those things that he was holy. He was holy because he had a, a relationship with Jesus and arguably with God. Jesus well, they were kind of walking. Yeah, they were cousins. So he did have a relationship with Jesus. He had a relationship with God. And, and as a result of that, God sent him out into the wilderness to do those things. And, and oftentimes we look at people and we think they're holy because of the things they do. And that's scary because we'll end up comparing ourselves. And that's scary because we don't live up to other people's rules. Don't let other people's rules condemn you. It was about your relationship with Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. I, I, this is, this is stuff, like, I mean, Paul wrote this for me. Like, this is stuff I struggle with because I'm a very... Like, I'm a, I'm a pretty black and white person. No, that's okay. me. <laughs> well, that's true. Darren is a very black and white person. Um, but, you know, for me, it's like the way my mind works is just, just this is right and this is true, and it's hard for me to move. And I've learned about God's grace and God's compassion in my life and how I relate to others and understanding. I, I still think truth is truth, but kind of how I exist within that. And I really agree with what you say. Like, it really is so much about the relationship with Jesus. And now, that being said, that produces good work. So I think mm. people do that. And we shouldn't just forsake traditions. I mean, you know, we don't celebrate new moon celebrations. But if someone did, uh, then, you know, and they're like, you know what? This is a way I worship Jesus. And I love that he created the moon too. and stuff. That, it, it's kind of like you reference the hat thing. You know, I, I talk about this with my grade 11 boys. You know, when we pray, some of them take off their hats and some of them don't. And, and, and frankly, I don't really care that much. I want my boys to fall in love with Jesus and to connect with him. And if part of that, if they feel they're showing respect and honor to the God who created the universe by removing their hat during prayer, then man, I hope they do that every time. Mm-hmm. But, but if that's not a thing, if, if they don't connect with that reality, then, then I don't really care. I mean, I believe that there are some bigger things going on there. I think one of the best ways I can think about it is... Um, this is going to sound weird, but kind of, kind of with, with sex within marriage. You know, you know, you might think you can accomplish a good marriage uh, by having a really good sex life. You know, it's like our marriage is struggling. We just need to have lots if of sex. If you do, it's because you're a guy. Yeah, yeah. If, if you think that, you're probably a male, which means you're wrong because that's wrong, and also you're wrong because you're the male. But um, you think that'll fix your marriage. You know, you have good sex because you have a good, healthy, strong marriage. You know, mm-hmm. you, 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 Unloading the dishwasher for your wife sometimes, or doing something nice for your spouse, helping with the kid. You know, your wife doesn't want to have a good sex life with you if you don't help with the kids ever. Because what's going to happen? It's going to be another kid you don't help with. You know, you have a bad <laughs> marriage because you don't show up and you don't help out. You know, and if you do that, the dividends are amazing. I, I believe it's the same. You know, we try yeah. to sometimes access Jesus through. Oh, I did this, or I gave this. I believe giving money to the church is awesome, and Talcy and I continually try to do that more and more, and not just the church, other places. But we don't do that because we think when we put money into the plate, right. that's buying us something. Yeah. We do that because Jesus is amazing, and he's transformed our lives, and we get to give as a result of his grace. And, and you know, that's an amazing thing. So yeah. God yeah. wants obedience, not sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Wait. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. Yeah, sorry. I think, <laughs> I think that that are, are, is um, but I, you're ref Yeah, okay. I get what you're referencing. Thank you. Sorry, I was just about to call him out on his heresy there, you know? It's Which, almost. Well, it's just tough because I watched Barry's sermon on YouTube from last week. I wasn't here to call him out on heresy while he was preaching, so I thought I'd get there. Just kidding. Barry did an awesome job. We can always job find time to call Darren on his heresy. That's, <laughs> that's an important part of our roles. Yeah, that's what staff means for us. Sorry, what were you going to say, Gord? Um, yeah, what was I going to say? Uh, you know, I, I think the motivation behind what we're doing is, is huge. Uh, in, in, in this context, people are being told that, that uh, their faith, their there, well, that's that's one of the things is it's separated from faith. It was all about this knowledge and this this ability to beat your body and into submission. That's what's, what will would save them. I, th I think it is important to realize, like you you mentioned that that a lot of these things here are mentioned in the Bible, but a lot of them were from the Jewish law, and 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 it says right in Scripture that the law was was intended to be temporary. It was intended to be put in place just to lead us up to Christ, and so. To continue to observe the law, it, it talks about it being a, a shadow of, of things to come. And I really like that picture of a shadow. Um, I, I had a, as I was thinking about shadow, I, I thought back to the fall and I, I uh, had an opportunity to go for a little walk with my daughter, with my granddaughter, uh, Kalia, a little two-year-old. It was a um, beautiful sunny day and... Um, and our shadows were out in front of us, and I just, we were walking along, and I happened to notice it, and I thought, I'll bet she doesn't know anything about shadows. And so I started pointing out how our shadows worked, and how mine was so much bigger than hers, and look, if we turn around backwards, our, our shadows are now following us instead of being out in front. And then we made our shadows do some funny things, and, and she was laughing. And, but, you know, that was great, but how sad would it have been if from that point on, she only ever wanted to interact with my shadow? And she ignored me, the reality that was right in front of her, the real person. And, and that's what it was with the law. The law was intended to be a forerunner uh, to, to guide us into this place where we felt our need for Christ because we couldn't fulfill this law. And so by continuing to worship and observe and follow these, these lo the law after Christ came was in, in essence denying the reality of Christ and, and focusing on the shadow instead of the the person of Christ. And so I think that's different than, you know, in the New Testament we are told, it is reaffirmed that here's certain ways that you should live, here are certain things you should avoid as a child of God to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And so there's a difference between self-discipline and, and self-control and, and this asceticism, this belief that if I deny myself somehow I'm gaining favor with God Somehow I'm buying my way, I'm earning my way into the kingdom. And so I think we don't want to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater, which, by the way, that's a parenting tip for you uh, there, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> They're supposed to bath at this age? I was waiting until she was like 12. I thought she could decide that on her own. <laughs> so that's always the, the big fear in this whole legalism debate is if we if we make it too much by grace, then, then people are going to run rampant and just sin because it doesn't matter. And that's not the case at all. If, if, you, if you are, are, are truly saved and, 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 and grasp the infinite love that, that, that God has for you and, and the depth of the sacrifice of, of Christ dying on the cross in order that you could be saved, then you want to live a life that's worthy of him. And it, it comes, it's motivated by love, not out of fear or tradition Stuff like that.
Yeah. yeah, and I think setting up rules is actually that it does come out of fear, and 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 trying to control. It's 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 easier to have rules. It's eas easier to to have parameters, and and um, it, it it is scary and a little messy when you're dealing with the freedom that we have in Christ, and 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 it is, it is our our individual salvations together corporately. It's. I, uh, I thrive on parameters. I, you know, I, I see people who, like, you know, teacher gives them assignments, like, however many pages, and I'm just like, kill me now, you know? I want to know how many pages. I want to know what it's about. Like, I, it, it's so hard for me. And this is a, I think this is a tricky pal passage for anybody, uh, myself in some ways, other people in other ways, where it is just, how do you, it's so hard to find that balance between being like, yeah, the law was, valuable, and, and Jesus fulfilled it, and I want to do good works for Jesus, not to gain something from Jesus, and it's hard because our hearts are deceptive, but mm -hmm. um, I feel like we could talk about that for a long time, but I feel like we're uh, not allowed. So, um, what I really quickly want to say, I love your shadow analogy, because in verse 17, yeah, you cool. see that, how these are the shadow of, of the things that were to come. You know, God set up these rules, these festivals. When, when people practice circumcision in the Old Testament, uh, you know, it, it was a shadow that represented the true purity that Jesus was going to bring, the true forgiveness he's going to bring. When they practiced animal sacrifice, he was the sacrifice on the altar. He transcended time and was in all of that. And they worshiped Jesus in the Old Testament and, you know, through these types and these shadows. And, and I think that's an amazing thing. And this passage starts, it says, therefore, you know, verse 16, therefore, that means it hangs on what was said before. And up to this point, Paul's just worshiping Jesus, the mm -hmm. supreme God who died for us, and, and through the message of his gospel, through the good news of what he's done, he's set us free from this. Um, we're going to transition a little bit here. We're going to do communion. It's going to be a little bit different. I'll get the communion servers to come forward and start handing it out. We're going to keep talking while they hand it out. You can just hang on to the juice and the uh, cracker. Um, and I'll, I just want to quickly say before we continue on with what we're talking about, uh, we believe here that communion is a celebration for people who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. So if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, that's okay. We're glad you're here. Just let the plate go by you. No one's judging you. Know that we would love for you to choose to follow Jesus. Um, but, you know, if that's where you're at, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, uh, grab the elements and hold on to them. Um, but while we do that, um, I, I, the second paragraph versus, oh, thanks, Gord. Verses, I can't. Ver, one thing at a time. Okay, verses 20 to 23, um, it, it shifts from people judging you and the rules that people impose on you to kind of this struggle we have ourselves where we still continue to struggle with the rules that we thought would save us or form our lives in a way that Jesus does. So kind of with that in mind, we're talking about the freedom that we find in Jesus because of the gospel. Um, you know, how does that tie in this morning as we, as we approach uh, communion here this morning? I'm, I'm just uh, so thankful for that freedom. You know, we see here, basically what we see here is people that are caught up in a, in a performance-based religion where their standing before God is based on, on how they can perform, on how, how, how well they can keep all the rules, on, on how well they've done today. And, and, and think of the pressure of that, waking up every morning or going to bed every night and going, was it good enough? Did I do it? Did I, was I, did I submit hard enough? Did I follow all the rules? Did I miss one? There, there are people that, that believe only 144,000 people in history go to heaven. Can you imagine the pressure of wondering whether you've worked your way high enough up the rung to be one of those 144? I mean, the, what Jesus has accomplished for us, it, it's, it's, 
a, a free gift given to everybody. It's, it's, uh, it's salvation by faith through grace, not something we have to earn. And so as we, as we approach this and remember what Christ's done for us, I'm, I'm just so thankful for the freedom we have in Christ that we're not bound under the law anymore and we don't have to try to earn our way into heaven. Christ did it for us and we just need to accept that from him. I just, I didn't know, you had your mic there, I didn't know no, if you were saying cool. stuff. No, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of anything, but I can always talk. It's a... oh, one of the things, as I was looking at this passage, that came to my mind is the idea, first of all, this is a do-it-yourself religion that we're looking at, and it's just taking pieces and, and what you like and, and going with that and from other places, and, and that is not the gospel. Um, but in this, Paul is talking about how Christ needs to be first and he needs to be central, and he needs to be sufficient, because he is. He is first, he is central, and he's sufficient. And, and no one else takes the place of Jesus. He is first. Um, everything in our lives should be filtered through him. He should be central in our life. And he is more than enough for, for everything that we need. We don't need a guardian angel. We don't need, you know... Um, whatever it is that we would add on to Jesus. All we need is Jesus. We don't need self-help. We don't need self-actualization or anything like that. We just, we just need Jesus. And, and he provided himself for us. This is what the table is about. He, he's first and central and sufficient. Can I add just, just one little historical note that kind of yeah, underlines the importance of, of this whole a teaching and and you know um, historians say and these are these are not in this isn't in scripture but these are just ancient historians uh, historians say that the city of Colossa Colossa was uh, hit by a major earthquake uh, sometime shortly after this they don't they haven't been able to pin down the exact date but it it devastated almost the entire city and so a lot of the recipients of this letter. Uh, in their near future, we're probably dead. And, and so the importance of getting, getting it right, of, of, of learning and, and, and grasping that Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the way, and that it's not all about all these other things that, you, uh, that the human mind invents, is literally life and death, like on an eternal level of significance. And so, you know, that's, that's the, you know, that, that's what uh, Paul's addressing here. And none of us know uh, what tomorrow holds, and none of us know uh, how, how long our opportunity is to accept the, the, the salvation, the gift of salvation that Jesus extends to us. And that's all we need. That's all, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've been doing in the past. If you will place your faith in Jesus Christ, that's good enough. His death and sacrifice is sufficient. And uh, so I just, I thought I'd bring that in because it, it sort of, uh, when I read that, it, it sort of was a somber note to consider that, that our time is short. The gospel is by far the deepest, most complex, richest concept in the, in the universe. Um, but it's also the simplest message, and that is that Jesus is supreme and he died for us to make a way for us. We, we don't have to work for that. If our, 
if our understanding of our relationship with Jesus becomes overly complicated and complex because, you know, we have this massive checklist that we don't think we're living up to, we've missed the simplicity of what happened on the cross, and that's Jesus saying, I've forgiven you. I've, I've, taken, care, I've taken care of it. I've filled in the gaps for you. Uh, we often say, you know, Jesus' body was broken on the cross, and that's probably the understatement of the two millennia. Jesus' body was ripped to shreds over, over a, a course of hours upon hours, and chunks of it left behind and just ripped, ripped apart endlessly to the point where he almost died before they even hung him on the cross. And we take this this morning, I mean, that's a somber note, but I want us to remember what Jesus went through for us so that we don't have to try to rip ourselves to shreds to try to make it into heaven because Jesus did that for us. So let's take his body together. This juice represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Um, this is representative of, of our sins being washed away. All of them. Gone. Do this in remembrance of him. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. And really, thank you is all that we can say. We're so thankful that you have done what you have done so that it's not on us, because it would be impossible for us. Help us be a church that has a simple and clear understanding of your message of truth and love and grace and compassion, that you've made a way for us to be whole and to have new life in you. Help us, help us practice that by continuing to thank you and pursuing you in every way that we can. We love you so much, Jesus, and we're so thankful for the sacrifice you've made for us. Amen. You guys, it is Donut Sunday today, so enjoy a donut. We'll see you next week.